0: Hoy, oh, hey, this be Captain Wiley Raven, the Judd's Hill Wine Pirate. I've got Judd working on the script for me next enophilic adventure to be seen at WineBooty.com. So I be introducing this episode.
1: Uh, excuse me, Captain, is, is thar spelled with three or four R's?
0: Ah, uh, shut your bilge pump there, Judd, or I'll be running you through with a Marlin's spike. Here we be meeting a real Napa Valley character of legend. Winemaker Ray Corson of Elise Winery. He and Judd go way back, nigh over 30 years, and you'll enjoy hearing them tell tales. Before we embark, let me invite ye to be Judd's guest at his cruise winery. Judd's Hill here at the south end of Silverado Trail in Napa Valley. Visiting information be found at Judshill.com. While you be online, be sure to spy videos like Jud's Enormous Wine Show and Wine Booty. Both be starring yours truly. Also find some delectable recipes and put some wine in your treasure chest. As a perk for being a listener, type coupon code J-N-V-S, in lowercase letters. Upon checkout, and ye be getting 15% off your entire wine purchase. If and ye be wanting a better deal than that, then ye be joining the Juds Hill Wine Club. Fine and respectable times be coming your way for sure. And now, enjoy today's show.
1: And, uh, Captain, is this how
0: you spell keelhaul? What is keelhaul? Keelhaul be what you get if you keep interrupting me there, Judd.
2: Get ready for another heapful of fascinating things to know From witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio, you may be that intriguing person, on Judd's Napa Valley Show, on Judd's Napa Valley Show, Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live from the 1440 KVON studio, in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Fingelstein! Good morning, Lauren. How are you, sir? Top of the day. Judd, doing fine. Top of the day. What's
1: the latest in the world of Lauren?
2: Well, I have a very special announcement debate that just happened yesterday.
1: Is that right? Is this a Judd's Napa Valley Show exclusive?
2: Well, I guess it can be. No, nah,
1: you're going to tell some other people, too, okay. aren't you?
2: Go ahead. Uh, yesterday, my mom and dad, Ruth and Peter Mole, just celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. Wonderful.
1: Congratulations to them. Yes. And did they do something special, or is something going to be happening? Are they, are they kicking it up a notch for, on this great anniversary?
2: Uh, they are. Well, we had fish and chips last night from Applebee's. <laughs> oh, that's good. We had it to go, but <laughs> well, we had it at home.
1: Well, right. Well, home is where the heart is, and 25 is. years of marriage and love—that's wonderful.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy for you, mom and dad. I love you so much. Here's to 25 more years.
1: At least, and then 25 after that again. Well, congratulations, you guys. Congratulations. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's very heartfelt.
2: Glad I could. Yeah. And, uh, and you
1: are the greatest product of that union. How about that? I am. Mr. Lornmol.
2: Yes. Right on. Yes. And also, uh, this, this coming Thursday night at 7 o'clock on Channel 27, for the 12th year in a row, I will be the master ceremonies for the annual Community Advisory Committee Inclusion Awards presentation. Well,
1: that's coming up this week?
2: Yes, on Thursday. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks.
1: That'll be on channel twenty-seven on the Napa cable. Napa, yes, what on, was the official Napa name? Napa
2: Education Channel.
1: Napa Education Channel. Yeah, channel. So what time is that happening?
2: This is happening at seven o'clock tomorrow. So this is the only opportunity, Jed, where I have to you know switch stations <laughs> because you're usually on channel
1: twenty-six. Eight. Eight. eight excuse me. I, I knew it was one direction or the other. Channel twenty-eight on the Artie Party Napa show. That's right. Where I first met you way back when many years ago. That's right. And you're still going strong as the still, announcer there.
2: Still going strong.
1: Who's your guest? uh... Who you got coming up this week?
2: Uh, Phillips Elementary School tomorrow night. On the Artie Party
1: Show, though, I'm yes. curious that. Oh, that's who's coming on the show.
2: Uh, yes, that that's on the show tomorrow. But I'll be doing the award ceremony tomorrow on 27.
1: Right, got it. Okay, back and forth. The King of Napa Media, Lauren Mole, two right. channels, and this show. That's right. Cool.
2: Yeah, but the Inclusion Awards is actually where we acknowledge uh, teachers from all across the Napa Valley Unified School District who have included disabled individuals in their regular classrooms. Or I shouldn't say disabled, but just special needs individuals. Right,
1: right. Right. That's very important. I'm glad you're involved. I'm glad you're being recognized. To, to have the honor to lead that whole ceremony as the MC,
2: Oh, thanks. You got the chops. We know that. I do. <laughs> so it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Good, good. Yeah, so to hear all about it. Yeah, so what's been going on with you, Judd? Well, let's see. All kinds of stuff.
1: You know, we're getting, uh, getting pretty busy. It's getting to be the season here in Napa Valley. Folks coming in the door, which is nice. A couple events coming up. Well, I will mention just Sunday we had our annual springtime bonanza, which is a benefit we do at the winery for the napa valley youth symphony and that was a great success and they had an octet the napa youth chamber ensemble came and performed and it was beautiful people had a good time it was a gorgeous day just tons of fun uh, for a good cause i get so inspired seeing those kids performing they're just so talented and i am happy to do my little part to make sure that that continues so that the future musicians of our valley have a place to go and learn and train and perform. But coming up, a couple fun things. Jud's Hill, my family's winery, is doing a winemaker dinner at the hot new Atlas Social here in downtown Napa. It's going to be tons of fun. I don't have all the details to give you right now. I'm just going to say to folks, save the date. It's coming up pretty soon, June 3rd. And I don't have the details in front of me, but they will be posted very soon at JudsHill.com. And I'm sure at Atlas Social's uh, website as well. So that's June 3rd. Then, 10 days later, my group that does old-time Hawaiian music, the Kai Gents, will be performing at Trader Vic's in Emeryville, in the lounge. So come on down that evening of June 13th. It's free to come in. Just enjoy a Mai Tai, sit down, and let us serenade you. Tons of fun, always.
2: Oh, well, that, that's good, Jed. But yeah. as a matter of fact, June 13th actually happens to be my mom's birthday.
1: Oh, well, well... If you guys come on down, allow me to buy the first round of my <laughs> okay. ties. Talk, talk it over with your mom. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Maybe We'll see you. We got a show to do. Oh, we do. We have a great guest I'm very excited about.
2: Would you please make the introduction? Sure, Jed. All right, thanks. These rhyming intros are getting tricky, but let me try to force one. <clears throat> Our guest here makes fine wine, so let's pour some. Drinking his wine will make you feel richer than when your horse won. <laughs> a master joke teller to those who endorse fun. He can get kind of out there, like more calling Orson. But we got him today, Napa legend Ray Corson. Ray Corson, how are you, sir? What a, good morning, good thank good you. Good morning, what an
1: intro. I like that. He can get kind of out there, like Mork calling Orson. Good callback to Mork and Mindy there, <laughs> Lauren.
2: Thanks, God bless Robin Williams. Indeed, indeed. Go. Ray
1: Corson, man, you have... Been an icon of Napa Valley since you first landed in these parts, which well, has got to be a little over 30 years ago? Uh, 1983. Point? 1983, so yeah. yeah, a little over 30 so, years ago. Uh, yeah, Woo-wee. came here from Boston in 83. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we'll, we'll get into your history. I just right. I want to set up who you are. Right now, you're the proprietor of. Elise, what is the official? Is it Elise Winery? Elise Wines? Elise Elise Winery. It is Winery. Okay, Elise Winery. I should know this, judging by your website, which is EliseWinery.com. So that's who you are. You're very well known here in the Valley and throughout the U.S. where you sell your wine and make yourself known, because you're a, a great personality and a great character. But let's get back now. I just wanted to set up who you are. All right. That's who we're talking to, folks. A great guy, well known and respected and loved throughout Napa Valley but you you're not from here originally you said you came here in 83 you you're from New Jersey right a dairy I, farmer I
3: I grew up on a dairy farm in New Jersey yeah. and uh, when I was 16 I decided I outgrew my need for milk uh, <laughs> not true but I you know took off did was in the army went to Africa for a couple of years yeah decided that it was time to do something with my college education. So I first went to UNLV for a year, and I'm not just cut out for Vegas. No, not your So place. I ended up at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Mass. My degree is in stone fruits. What does so, that mean? Well, having an orchard. Oh, okay. I planned on having an orchard. Dairy farming was too hard, but- if You uh, tend to the trees, you don't have to milk yeah, them. Yeah, and you get a little time off with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I put myself through school, tending bar and waiting tables, yeah. and got the wine bug that's how it happened huh that's how it happened just yeah. in the bars and drinking wine i uh, i worked for a couple bauer wine shop on newberry street in boston mm-hmm. and in 79 he let us taste on christmas eve oh. a 47 chateau de kem no kidding and on new year's eve a 47 chateau margot wow and it buried the hook really that was your moment that was the that was my epiphany in the wine industry.
1: Do you still remember those wines? Oh. Like the detail of what what did it no, for I you? No, I couldn't remember that. But
3: I, it it was it was almost magical to the point where we're drinking these and we were giddy. Wow, that's and, power. And you know, and it it I could drink a little bit, so it wasn't <laughs> the alcohol that bothered me. Yeah, there was just something magical about the wine, and mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to try some other great wines over the years, also. And a great wine will do that to
1: you. And yeah. that's what got me going. So then what happened? What,
3: what did you do? How did you steer yourself? <laughs> well, I ended up working at a restaurant also and met this young lady from California. We got serious. I said to her, I said, I'd like to move to Napa Valley to make wine. Mm. And so we drove out here, which was a calamity in itself. Oh, no. And <laughs> I worked at a little place called Mount Eden down in Saratoga. That mm-hmm. was a great introduction my future father-in-law's ex-secretary's niece was married to the winemaker. (laughs) Wow so you guys were tight. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I did that and at the end of Harvest in 83 they told me if you really want to do anything you need to move to Napa Valley. Oh, so they told we, you that. Yeah, we came up to Napa Valley and ran a little bed and breakfast. And I planted a vineyard there and then worked for Tonella Vineyard Management Company. You planted and a vineyard at the be- The bed and breakfast, yeah. Oh. And then in April
1: of 1984, I went to work at Whitehall Lane. All right. And you know the story. Well, I do sort of, you know, that was my family's winery at the time. That's how right. I got to know you. I mean, I feel like I kind of grew up with you as a, you know, like a second uncle. I already had a crazy uncle, and then all of a sudden I had two <laughs> when Ray you came. You had three. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the third? Arthur. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Cousin yeah. Arthur from yeah. down south. He's a fun guy, guy as well. Guy. And the, and you guys, I mean, known for your joke telling. L- l- we'll get into that. But all you. Right. you, you <laughs> but yeah, I grew up with you. And, you know, one of the... What one of the reasons I wanted to have you in today, not just because you're, you know, this well-known Napa character that it's just fun to have on the radio, but I'm hoping to hear a little bit of my own history as well, you know, because I was fairly young in those days. You know, some of my memories are either hazy or almost manufactured by stories I've heard from my folks or my, my uncle, Alan. So I want to hear another perspective. Of what was going on during those days? So tell me how you landed at Whitehall Lane in 1984.
3: Well, I was working, again, for Tonelo Vineyard Management Company, and it was slowing down. It was that time of year. I worked with Bocce Tonello and six Mexican guys, and they were great to me. Bocce would spend two hours a day with me telling me why, and then the Mexican guys would show me how. Mm, mm. And they also had a little fun with me. My name Uh in the vineyard was El Blanco Grande, (laughs) and uh, they taught me a lot about eating jalapeno peppers in the beginning, and they... Had their fun with that.
1: A oh, Blanco Grande. The big white. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I understand. So yeah. I came home from work one day
3: and my wife said, hey, there is a job in the tasting room at Whitehall Lane. Oh, so they had posted um, yeah. an ad. Okay. And so I came in for an interview and did the interview with your dad and Alan mm-hmm. and got the job. And then the woman in the tasting room, I went down and started training a little bit and she left. <laughs> so I was on my own. And uh, thank God it wasn't a high-tech register or You anything. drove her away or
1: what happened? She well, just, she's not the first woman. Done for uh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think she was set on leaving. And I don't know. I, I really didn't get a chance to know her. Really? Because she was gone so quickly. She just split. She said, all right, I've trained you. Now I'm out yeah. the door. So I started working in the tasting room. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I told your dad that I really want to work in the back because I came here to make wine. So they let me work in the back and the season slowed down and then they sent me out on the road selling wine. I got all the great places. Yeah, where'd you, you know, go? Down the Central Valley, oh. up to Reading, <laughs> you know, not the high accounts. But you you know, still, right? learned how to do it right. and went up to Tahoe and did that. But came back and then more and more, and I'll always remember this, there was a family meeting and this was, I believe it's gonna be in July of 86. Mm-hmm and they were your uncle and aunt and your mom and dad were going to talk about things going on and they would do this about every month yeah and so charlene your aunt aunt, says to me you know ray we're going to have a meeting we want to talk about you talk about a raise." oh so i tell my wife this and she makes this beautiful blueberry coffee cake and they go have their meeting and your dad comes back he goes that's the most expensive coffee cake I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and at that time, they promoted me to assistant winemaker. Yeah, worth it, worth it. Yeah, and I still worked the tasting room, so mm-hmm. I covered everything. I think the beauty of what I did at Whitehall Lane was all hands-on, did everything.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Your talent definitely lies. I, I, they couldn't lose you in the tasting room. Obviously, you had a knack for winemaking, but you're such a personable guy. And I used to work the tasting room, too, along with you. And mm-hmm. how old was I? Maybe 12 yeah, I, I loved
3: working with your grandma.
1: Oh, and my grandma would come in. Okay, we got to tell all these stories. So, my, yeah, my 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 grandma also was on the road for us in Los Angeles. Right. She lived in Los Angeles, and she would work the market down there selling wine. And she had the same wrap in the tasting room as she did selling wine to these sommeliers and uh, food and beverage directors, which was people would come in, uh, or she would go to them and ask, you know, well, tell me a little bit about this wine. You know, what what are these vineyards? You know, that type of thing. Every answer was, I don't know. My son-in-law made it. It's good. You're going to like it. You should buy it. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) Who's going to say no to grandma? That's true. It's true. true. And so anytime you needed a reservation to get into any of the hot LA restaurants, you just had grandma call. They're like, oh, Cindy, of course we have a table. They loved her. And you, your thing was, you were the joke teller. I, I heard words i never heard in my life when you started working <laughs> in that tasting room i'd have to go home and my mom was very open about explaining anything i wanted to say i said mom what does blah 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 mean where did you hear that ray <laughs> you know <laughs> and then I, I got an education out of it too but people would come in saying you know where's where's ray where's the funny guy and you and my uncle who's also known as a joke teller like made this dynamic duo they said Where's, they didn't call you Grande Blanco, but they would, you know, they knew. Right. You, you had white hair since right. probably forever. So, you know, the white hair and the funny doctor. Th- those are the guys we want to see. You guys had such a reputation. Oh, we had a ball. We
3: actually had
1: a ball. Yeah.
3: And, um, you know, your mom and dad were very shy in the tasting room. And they had to yeah. rotate weekends. Yeah. And Charlene is just so gregarious.
1: Yeah, my aunt and uncle had no room. problem talking to folks. No,
3: I mean, I we would be tasting people and then send them into the, the actual buying room. And all of a sudden you hear this yee at out of Charlene and you hear the cart go out the door.
1: Yeah. And a ka in a cash register.
3: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was my start, really. I mean, I worked in the vineyards first, but that was my start. And I always remember working in the tasting room and I keep hearing this sound. And it, it was a seasonal thing, but it, it sounded like they're playing ping pong in the back. Yeah. Well, I'm out here working and they're all in the back playing ping pong. <laughs> what so was it? I go around the corner, it's the bottling line. Oh. So, as the cork goes the corker. in, you know, the release and everything like that. Yeah. So, I call my friend from Mount Eden I go, Jeffrey, what's the worst job in the bottling, in the, in the winery? Mm-hmm. He goes, Oh, bottling line. Yeah. And I'm not a mechanical guy. But I edged my way in there, first loading cases, Mm -hmm. and finally going in with your dad at 3.30 in the morning, sterilizing everything. Uh. And then he got comfortable. He goes, it's yours. And so
1: I took over the bottling. What was your your strategy? Is you wanted the worst job?
3: Well, you know, if you could do the worst job... Uh. It's pretty hard to get rid of you Right. We need that <laughs> guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wanted to get up at 3:30 in the morning. I remember going in there in February and it's pouring rain oh, and yeah. you're dealing with everything. Cold. The labels aren't sticking. I mean, it's bottling is so high tech today compared to what it was back then.
1: Yeah, nothing ever worked no, properly. You no. needed a mechanic. Yeah. Um they didn't have the self-sticking labels. You had to run the labels through a glue. And I think we had the type of line where didn't we have to hand or, or at least, like, hand-feed them through the glue machine? We
3: had, had to hang on to them at some times. I mean, Sometimes, I, okay. We, you know, we were self-sparging and doing all oh. that stuff. And I'm sure some people still do that who have yeah. an older line. Um, That's a lot, it, oh, Tedious, it's, it's a lot of work. Tedious. Repetitive. You know, and your mm. labels aren't going on right, and foils aren't going on right. The only thing that bottling really reminded me of was the Charlie
1: Chaplin movie, Modern Times. Yeah. Which part is that? Well, just with where the, everything goes amok. The gears. And yeah. The, uh, everything. Yeah. Oh, man. What were some highlights? What do you remember those days? You know, educate me on my own past.
3: You know, I remember your dad teaching me, because your dad was a self-taught winemaker also. Pretty much. About the art of blending. Mm. And that's something that really stuck with me. And I can cook. I'm a pretty good cook. I mean, I couldn't do it in a restaurant or anything like that or for a large group of people. Um, But really that palate sensation Hmm. and, you know, wine has to be a lot of things. And if you get all those things together, it's very simple. But I think I really learned that from your dad and then just tried Hmm. to push it and push it and constantly reading and uh, it got me to where I am today.
1: Yeah, it's, and you've had a good trajectory. I'm, I'm going to go to your website for a quote. I was looking up a little information about you at elisewinery.com. By the way, that's spelled E-L-Y-S-E, winery.com. And I was, I was touched. I mean, there was a photo of you and my dad standing in the Whitehall Lane Winery tasting room. Looked like you're having a nice time. And um, I did a little math. I think I'm probably right now close to the age my dad was when that photo was taken, which blows my mind a little <laughs> bit, which means you're younger in that photo too, which blows my mind. How this guy that was like my uncle looking at a photo at that time. And now he's in that photo younger, but strangers that's life. But anyway, it was really nice that the photo's there. And then there's a quote next to it. And, um, this is you speaking. This is your voice saying, uh, about Whitehall lane winery. It was with owner art Finkelstein. Um, Or this is about you, excuse me. Uh, It was with owner Art Finkelstein that he honed his skills in the art of blending. Uh, Ray calls Finkelstein the inspiration for his winemaking style today and says, Art's theory was simple. Fruit first, and then wine is a collection of nuances and balance. Bingo. That's it, huh? That's it. That's what you learn. That's how you still approach it. Yeah. That's how we still work it, too. You know, the fruit is the thing. Wine can be very,
3: very... Difficult and very cerebral. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. Uh, I was at a dinner party on Sunday night. One of the people there was, I think is probably one of the most intelligent people in the wine industry and a, been a wine writer for years. And we were talking about things and I said, you know, David, I still believe in magic.
1: Mm. I like that. And It's there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that every time we do blending, to me is we're really... I experience magic, so you know what you're talking yeah. about right here. You have these wines, you pull them out of the barrel, you taste them on their own, you know, write down a few adjectives about, you know, what you think these wines are all about, and then you gotta have to forget it, because once they start playing with each other and reacting and interacting, it blows my mind sometimes. You know, you gotta expect the unexpected, and to me, magic is happening at that point. Right. It's very cool.
3: Well, you know, you as a winemaker, you get to taste in the vineyard. So you have a, a month and a half chance before you pick it mm-hmm. to start understanding where the wine is going. And then as we taste through the barrels you know, all the time, you start seeing things from a certain vineyard. I've been making wine from the Marisoli Vineyard now since 1985. Mm, yeah. uh, our first Cabernet was at Whitehall Lane 1990. So after a period of time, you hone in on a vineyard and then it's working with the
1: vintage
3: but every year it'll throw you a little sure. you know, curve curveball here or there.
1: It has to. I yeah. mean, that's what makes wine eternally uh, intriguing to people because right. no year is going to be the same.
3: Right. And, and that's, you know, it makes it fun as a winemaker.
1: And you're still having fun. I'm still having a good time. Too. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm remembering all these memories are coming back and, and I remember you used to bust my chops a lot in a good way. I mean, in a, in, yeah. a, in a good humored, you know, uncle kind of way. And I, I remember coming in with this magic trick and what it was is I think I might have been, it was probably right before around the time of my bar mitzvah where I had to dress up. And so I was, you know, getting my first suit and tie, but I found this magic trick. And what it was Mm -hmm. is it would make your tie rise up. It was like a levitating ties. The tie you're wearing would levitate. And I came in and I showed you this trick and, uh, you looked at me and you said, someday you'll be able to control that. <laughs> I had no idea what you meant at the time. <laughs> but, but, it but it stuck with me. And um, shame on you. Yeah, right. <laughs> ah, the things that stick with you. The well, I mean, I think that's you.
3: really amazing. You know, like mm-hmm. I grew up with my grandfather and uncle on the farm. Yeah. And the things that, you know, you heard, the things that they talked about, and you look at it, you know, now I'm...
1: Fifty some years later, yeah, it's still there. Yeah, that's very very cool. All right, we are going to take a little break. All right. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, you know, we just talked a little bit about the past. Let's talk about the present and the future and see what's happening. You got
3: to
2: do. We've got Ray Corson here from Elise Winery. <coughs> we'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. La 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 la. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of finkle fun at 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live around the world at KVON.com back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. Well, thanks, Lauren Mole. You're welcome, Judd.
1: True sure to appreciate those professional intros. You bring something to this radio station. I do. To this show, to my life, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate you. Thank you, Lauren Mole. You're welcome, John. Great. We're here today with Ray Corson, the legendary man about Napa Valley, Elise Winery. Thanks for being here, sir. It's really been fun talking to you. It's a pleasure. I can't wait to talk some more. Let's talk. Actually, before we get to it, you brought something here. What's going on? What is this thing here?
3: Well, uh, people used to call this a hula hoop. And I think that this is really an abdominal accelerator. <laughs> is that we have so here? this is a little on the higher tech side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple bearings that roll around in it. The faster you go, the faster they go around. There's a digital readout here. There's a digital readout on this. I mean, this is state of the art.
1: And you're giving it to me? I'm giving it to you. Wow, thank you so much. May I give it away? I mean, not to sound ungrateful, but I would love for one of the listeners to experience this. Can I split the money with you? Absolutely. All right. I'll that's give you right. half of whatever I get for Okay, it. that's a deal. It's yours free right now. If you (laughs) are the first one to text, to text, uh, uh, what are we texting? Oh, yeah. Hashtag JNVS, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And put at Judd's Hill, our Judd's Hill Twitter handle. And hashtag JNVS, be the first one to tweet that. And you can have this amazing abdominal accelerator from Ray Corson. I'll bring it back to uh, Judd's Hill, the winery there in the south end of Silverado Trail. For you to pick up, and if it's still there within three days, I'm taking it home. Those are the rules. So My get pleasure. your hands on Judd's goodies. Tweet now JNVS with the hashtag and at Judd's Hill. It's yours, Ray. Before uh, we went to the break, we were talking about our history together, how I kind of grew up with you at Whitehall Lane, and how you grew into the wine business at Whitehall Lane Winery. And then there came a time for you to go on your own. Let's talk about that time. So, around the late well, 80s, you had started, yeah, I started, the
3: lease. uh. Home wine making in 84 your dad and I made a wine that we called Chateau Bubba.
1: I remember this was it and a late
3: harvest zin. It was a late harvest zin and yeah. on the bottom where the alcohol normally goes we put this will be the last thing you remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was about 16.8 alcohol naturally and wow. sweet. And it was quite good for quite a long time. It was you got any left? I have one bottle left. You do. Yeah, oh the last goodness. one I had wasn't very good no. so. But anyway, so your families were thinking about selling the place, mm-hmm. and your dad would kind of drop me little hints as to, you know, we may not be here forever, mm. and if you really want to do anything here in the Valley, you got to get your own thing going. I see. So they let me make a little bit of wine, and then in under your father's guidance, and was lucky we were living on the Morisoli property on Nibom Lane. And they had a beautiful old Zinfandel vineyard, which yeah. I still buy grapes from. Yeah, famous. So, you know, we took at it, and was in 1987, we did 286 cases. Mm-hmm. And the winery ended up selling in October
1: of 1988. Yeah, we sold. We I didn't have much right. to do with it. I was a kid, but, yeah, uh, right. Whitehall Lane Winery sold. And... So, that you know,
3: like your dad and mom started another place, Juds Hill. Yeah. Your uncle and aunt more or less retired from it. Mm-hmm. And I stayed on and then the japanese people sold it again
1: but were you not you became the winemaker at that right. point right my father moved out of that role right. as a gm which and i became a winemaker yeah you probably got the better of the deal i know my dad hated that he's just not a desk dude he that no. he, wasn't his no. thing he yeah. liked not having his hands dirty purple wet that right. was his thing so he was happy when that His tenure as GM ended, and he just could focus on Judd's Hill. But you became the winemaker at that point. Right.
3: Well, you know, and then Japan went under a big recession, or it's actually almost a depression, and then the winery sold again. Right, to the current owners. To the current owner. And I think it was kind of a mutually great thing for both of us that my term, my employment ended there. Mm. And I remember going home, and I had just put nine years in a place, and I'm going, man, what am I going to do? And my wife goes let's expand oh so good for her. we started making a little more wine i started working other places um we were strictly nomadic for a long time we were one of the early
1: garistas f- as far as winemaking. was like. yes oh you were doing we it in different were, places
3: uh, making wine in different places storing <laughs> barrels in different places i'm driving a, a tank of wine up and down highway or the <laughs> silverado <laughs> trail yeah um it just started that way, and so we kept doing that, and I tried to buy a winery on Zinfandel Lane, and that fell apart. Mm. And I was having lunch at the Rutherford Grill, and talking to a friend who was in the business, he goes, there's a little winery for sale down in huh. And he told me a little bit more about it. I drove down and told the guy, here, this is for sale. He goes, yeah, I said, I wanna buy it. <laughs> just like that. And that's how it happened. No kidding. You know there were a lot of things we had to go through to of do course, it. Of but... course, but that was 97.
1: Mhm.
3: So, you know, we never looked back from doing it. We wish we could have bought more vineyard land, right. but we were able to buy a winery and we have a small vineyard on it. Mm-hmm. But so it really gave us a great opportunity to get moving. And I always remember it was my ex-wife now. She goes, "If you tell me one more time that next year we're going to make money, I'm going to kill you." <laughs> <laughs>
1: So oh, it's been it's been a, it's been been a patient long, long ride, enough. yeah. It's been a long ride. You seem to be doing well these days. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are. Yeah. I mean, you
3: know, I think all of us have taken a pretty good hit with the recession. Yeah. You know, we were talking about this briefly during commercial. The baby boomers are drinking wine for almost immediate consumption now. Mm-hmm. They have cellars full of cabernet and all the other wines they want. And we were looking at the millennials. As the re- replacement to the baby boomers. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all thought this was a given. And we're looking at this thing, it's taking more time than all of us imagined. And, you know, as we, we discussed during the break, we, neither of us have the answer to this thing. They're not brand loyal. They're extremely price conscious. Mm-hmm. They're not varietal loyal. But they love wine and you know They're
1: adventurous. They're so, adventurous. So they will come to wine. Right. But are they gonna stick with one?
3: Well, I mean, you know, it, it's a big question. Are they gonna pay I for mean, it? You know? You know, when my of my father's era and your dad and your uncle, they drank Cabernet.
1: That was their main That yeah. was their main thing.
3: You know, Merlot came in there and the Chardonnay was there. And then and most of those people had one or two wineries that they really drank from. Mm-hmm. My generation, we drank from all the Cabernet wineries. Well, now these folks are trying all these different varieties. The question is, will they come back to Cabernet? Will Cabernet remain king?
1: Yeah, or will they stick with one particular right. winery? Who knows?
3: But, I mean, you know, I love Cabernet. It's not what I drink all the time.
1: Well, you can't drink yeah. one thing all the time. Right. do I say variety is the yeah. spice of something or other. Yeah.
3: So you know, and I think you know the jo- the joke is that these people, they can say gavert's demeanor. <laughs> you know, they're they are adventurous. They're yeah. willing to try other things. I mean, who would have thought cocktails would have taken off the way that it's taken wow, off? Wow, what a shot! Or craft beer, mm-hmm. and they're all good. So it, it's just it's a matter of thing, and you know we're looking at will they come back to more expensive wine as they get higher incomes?
1: I I think so because what I'm seeing in this demographic is people who do appreciate good things, fine things, things that are made well. That's why it's called craft beer and craft cocktails and, you know, winemaking kind of around here has always been a craft, the craft of winemaking. We don't really say craft winemaking, but um, these are people who appreciate products that have been made with care and love and thought. And I'm going to use a word that I just so hate when i read it it's so overused on wine labels and wine pr but i think it works once in a while i'm gonna use here made with passion i mean people who really believe in it and i I think that these people are the audience for our wine it's just they're also the audience for a lot of other things too right i I agree
3: and you know the one of the strengths we have going for us is the food has taken off oh yeah you know the tv shows some of them i don't like some of my love um you know, they say Emerald Gagazi never really followed a recipe, but he got redneck men cooking. Absolutely. And once you get into the kitchen and you start making better and better food, you start drinking better and better wine. Yeah. Because you, you just gravitate to that. It has to. They complement one another. So I think that's those are the strengths. And again, I think the millennials are very open to try. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's when they really come... You know, towards the bigger wines.
1: We will see, and we'll keep our fingers crossed, yes, you know, that they, so. they come and they stick with us. And now, at Elise, you started off with Zin was the main thing, right? right? That's not all you make these days.
3: If I don't make it, you don't need it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you got a lot going on.
3: Uh, you know, we made a lot of wine at Whitehall Lane, yeah. and I had a ball doing I've I virtually never met a grape that I didn't want to turn into wine. Mm. Zinfandel and Cabernet Sauvignon are our big players. Right. Uh, we're producing about 8,500 cases of wine a year now. Huh? We've been following the Rhone thing for since 1994 before people really wanted to get into it. Yeah, I was
1: going to bring up your Rhone blends are fantastic. Hard
3: to sell. Really? They're really hard to sell. I mean, and I don't know why. I think Syrah is one of the greatest grapes in California, mm-hmm. but it's really a tough wine to sell. We're moving into Merlot. No kidding. We're what? doing Bordeaux blends. Well, you know, I remember back the days of Whitehall Lane. Yeah. And we made some your dad really made some Merlots in 82, 83, 84 out of Knights Valley. Those Knights Valley Merlots got that um, going. You know, I had a great run uh when I took over with Knights Valley Vineyard. And you know, I I remember the old Duckhorns uh little vineyard down the street from where we are now, Chateau Chev. Mm. Always did a great job with Merlot, and we're buying Merlot from there. And then also some from the Haasfeld Ranch up on Soda Canyon. So I think, you know, Merlot got beaten up in the movie. Boy, did it. And, you know, part all all of it is also that everybody, every time something's successful, everybody has to plan it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People plan it where it's not a good idea, mm-hmm. it's not a good sight, and then it kind of dwindles down a little bit. Pinot Noir stole the thunder from Merlot.
1: Oh, it sure did. And Pinot Noir
3: is great, so I'm not going to anyway, yeah. <laughs> I remember being in a restaurant in Kansas city and these four women come in and they go, do you have any of that peanut? And the guy looks at him and I look at him, I go, I bet you used to drink Merlot. And it was, you know, it was kind of that way. This was the change. It was yeah. after the movie. Yeah, yeah. And it, it trashed it. But if you really paid attention to the movie, the wine he craved
1: at the end was merlot yeah it's never called that by yeah, name it's the, right. uh, the cheval blanc right right so what's the main component merlot you got it yeah. so anyway
3: i think there's a comeback for it cabs are very expensive you can make great merlots in napa valley and other oh, places also thought it so we're going to play around with that a little bit good. and uh see where that goes
1: good good and you always have these you know fun ideas too there was one of your blends where you took oh, and forgive me for not remembering the name but it wowed me at one of these uh panel tastings it, you and i asked you about it, like what well, tell me about this wine it's amazing you 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 took some of the cuttings from the from oh. the vines and actually soaked them in the wine we fermented them you fermented them right and, and I, that I, that does happen i mean that's a yeah, french it,
3: thing once and, in a while and also australia did some co-fermentation you know, okay. that way well, that's unusual um though. Around here. We were making some Grenache from the Hudson Vineyard. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of Rhone wines. And we wanted to keep it as pure to Grenache as we could, but we wanted some complexity and nuance. First thing we did is we would freeze Viognier skins. Ah. Take them down to the ice house and then co-ferment the skins. And then one night I'm laying awake in the middle of the night trying to figure out how to pay the bank and I come up with this idea, let's dry the canes out. So for the say, fifteen vintage, yeah. we got canes from
1: the 14 vintage. Canes meaning the the prunings from right. the, the, the grapevines. Right. And I only say that because I've gotten a couple comments about my show from folks who listen outside of Napa Valley who may not be so in on the jargon. So I just right. want to be clear. So anyway,
3: I would bring them to the winery. I'd cut them in one-foot lengths and put them on cookie sheets in the oven overnight really? at about 200 degrees. Take them out, box them up, and we put them up in the puppet room, which is a little attic space <laughs> we have. We have a curtain
1: on it, so we call it the puppet room. <laughs> it just shows uh, up there for the kids. Not yet. <laughs> oh, okay. My aunt there, the ventriloquist. Right. Aunt.
3: So anyway, and then at harvest time, I would take them out and make a bundle, wrap it in cheesecloth, and tie it with a cotton rope, and then we'd submerge them in the fermenters. mm Not many people are this crazy, (laughs) but you. But why not? What we were looking for, and what we got, as the fermentation started and Mm -hmm. continued, it would extract this little kind of earthy, almost white pepper sensation. Yeah, and so it gave us more nuance between the Viognier and the, the
1: cuttings. Remind me the name of that because it was delicious. Corbeau, Le Corbeau, Le Corbeau. Yeah, it was a great bottling. And you're still making that? No, we stopped. We're getting out of the Rome business. Oh, you got any left hanging around? A couple bottles. Maybe. I might have to come see you. You know, I'm curious. There was a quote from you in an article in the Napa Valley Register, and you said, I'm smart because I listen to people who are smarter than I am. So, I mean, it's a great quote, but I'm wondering, you know, are there some instances of specific people that you... Listen to that you feel their influence and advice really helped you along? Well, you know, your dad for one, Uncle Alan for another reason,
3: <laughs> Ray Rossi. That. Oh, good old Ray Rossi. Ray Rossi. Ray right. Rossi used to come in on Saturday morning and he'd go, you got any red wine in here? And he would tell me stories of the valley. Yeah. He was a and
1: grower, old time grower. old time grower.
3: Yeah. You know, another one was Bocci Tanello. hmm Bocci was a young man. I think he came here in the early 1900s. hmm and I worked with him. So, you know, listening to that, but I mean, it's sometimes I think I've learned more from chefs than I've learned from winemakers. No kidding. In, in what sense? And, well, it's about balance. Mm. You know, you have to take a look at it. Rosemary may be stronger in August than July. Uh-huh. So they have to be able to move with that. And we have to be able to move with that. And it's not just the piece of meat, it's where it was grown how it was fed how it was slaughtered how it was aged and how it what what served with it yeah. and so that's their nuance their spice rack is their nuance you know ours are different grapes different fermentation styles sure. barrels barrels dried out time sticks. barrel
1: dried out sticks <laughs> frozen grapes it's very cool uh, i'm glad that you're being so creative i mean i honestly think and talk about this often that winemaking is this great blending of art and science and you got to know your science you know your microbiology and your chemistry and whatnot but those who really approach it as an art form like you say with the flavor palettes and whatnot i i admire and you're certainly among those that i admire very cool if you're a man about town it's very rare that i've you know walk into a place and either i don't see you or i heard oh ray was just here you know so where where are you hanging these days where's a good ray sighting
3: well you know i would have what to do, you do say for fun
1: red red Probably
3: my favorite restaurant. I mean, I'm, I hate to say I have a favorites yeah, because I
1: have a bunch of favorites. Okay, but what is it there that makes you feel comfy and welcome? What do you what do you dig? Well, I, you know, number one is the food. Mhm. And
3: it's a great collection of people. You know, you can see a bunch of different winemakers there yeah. on a given day. You know, talk to the wine buyers, talk to the chef. He's become a friend. It's a couple um, of
1: characters ride down from the veterans' home to have a couple beers. Uh, yeah. I like hanging Taking out there. Taking the scamps downtown. Yep. Exactly. And uh,
3: <laughs> so, yeah, it, I think it's just a great spot. Yeah. And you know, again, the food is tremendous. But I mean, we're we're so jaded here. It's
1: true. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but I've, I talked to my wife about this and we travel. We very rarely will go to the quote unquote fancy restaurants in whatever town. We try to find the joints with the real local flavor because we're just spoiled. You know, it's hard to impress us anymore. Right. I don't know if that's good or bad. I guess it's good. Well, I, I find it. that, it,
3: you know, I like the garden. That's one of my hobbies. Yeah. yeah. And cooking is another one of them. And all you goes know, together. I learn a lot from these guys. Yeah, you were the Napa Valley lifestyle, man. So I'm I'm in the kitchen at Red yelling at him, Hey, can I get some d- duck fat? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> to and I trade him off something. I brought him a five gallon bucket of fava beans and I oh, dropped him wow. off some hot sauce that I'm working on. That's great. And so it's good fun. And they look at me, they go, Here he comes. <laughs> I, I remember I used to go up to Trevino a long time ago and I wanted some duck or uh, rabbit stock. Mm hmm and i would go in there and they go here's ray michael goes everybody stop you get him a quart of rabbit stock
1: ray's telling us a joke yeah so i would have to tell a joke for my rabbit stock famous that's what you traded yeah i mean i'd ask you to tell me what you told him now but probably you'd have to bleed those yeah most of it. you couldn't get away with it as that. i said i learned most of what i learned about all of that stuff by hearing your jokes and then asking my mom what it meant <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it has been fun here. Before we go, though, it's time to play everyone's favorite party game okay. here on Judd's Napa Valley Show.
2: This is
1: Mad Libs. That's right, Lauren Mole. It's time to play Mad Libs with the one and only Mr. Ray Corson of Elise Winery. <clears throat> How's that for my announcer voice? Not Beautiful. bad. Thank you. All right, Ray, you know how this works. I'm going to ask you to fill in some blanks, and we're going to go. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Take your time. Think about this. Answer thoughtfully, carefully. I need a geographic location. Mars. Okay, going to outer space. Let's go to Mars. Great. How about a, uh, oh, a name of a person in this room? Lauren Mole. Lauren Mole. The one and only Mr. Voice Napa Valley. A noun. Zebra. Ooh, that was quick, right off the top of your head. A zebra. What's going through your head right now? How about another noun? Fox. <laughs> a foxy zebra. An adjective, you know, a descriptor that should be good for a winemaker such as yourself. Tasty. Perfect. And how about another adjective? Cloudy. Cloudy. I like today a bit cloudy out. And finally, another adjective. Rusty. (laughs) You're good. You played this before. All right. Here we go. Earlier today, I was looking at EliseWinery.com and came upon your bio, the story about us page, Took a snippet of that, and you've just rewritten it via this Mad Libs game. Are you ready, Ray Corson? I hope I'm ready. You're ready. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. In 1983, Ray and Nancy Corson arrived on Mars, ready to turn their dream into reality. Napa, Mars, not too far Okay. Off. okay. Ray's first industry job was working a harvest at Mount Lauren Mole in Saratoga. <laughs> did you know
2: about that winery? I did not know that. You better that.
1: get your lawyers on that. Looking back on his first winery position at Mount Lauren Mole, Ray notes, thirty years later I can still smell that zebra when I drink their Chardonnay. <laughs> what were they doing over there? Ooh, yeah, I don't know. The next stop for the Corsons was Napa Valley. Upon moving up to the valley, Ray and Nancy became innkeepers for bed and breakfast, perhaps only because they were allowed to plant a fox in the backyard. Now are we talking a little red animal or are we talking a little red animal. Okay. Ray then spent a tasty amount of time at a vineyard management company where he gained cloudy perspective and rusty knowledge of working in the vineyards. That is Ray Corson, the legendary winemaker of Napa Valley, of Elise Winery, EliseWinery.com, E-L-Y-S-E. Winery.com. Man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in to Judd, talk my we gotta My pleasure. Lauren, this. great
3: to meet you. Want to do this Thank again. You. We gotta
1: we gotta just wrap more. This is Yeah, fun. we got hours. Hours and hours and hours. Thank hours. you, Ray. Alrighty.
2: This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gilamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.